This is Matt Lautner coming to you live on Wednesday, uh, March 29th, uh, just a couple days before the Michigan Beef Expo. And uh, today I'm being joined by Ken Guns of Bath, Michigan. Is that where you're from, Ken? Yes, that's correct, Matt. Um, <clears throat> lots of hi historical information to come in this podcast. I'm going to be relying on, mainly on Ken because I don't know a lot of the information, but uh, Ken worked at uh, Michigan State University for many years. He worked with Dr. Harlan Ritchie. Some, some history of the state of Michigan over the coming days, and Dernsher couldn't do that without an interview with, uh, with you. So uh, introduce yourself to the audience and uh, just tell us the story as, as briefly or as longly as you can. Go ahead, Ken. Okay, thanks, Matt. Uh, well, it's, it's a pleasure to be on and and to uh, you know kind of focus on a really a person that was a very very dear friend of mine. Um, I I moved to Michigan from Northwest Illinois where I grew up uh, in the mid '70s, and it was because of people like Harlan Ritchie and Dr. Ron Nelson, uh, who was then the department chair at Michigan State Department of Animal Science and Dr. Dave Hawkins uh, that I chose to pursue uh, some graduate uh, education. And uh, as time went on, <clears throat> actually I was fortunate enough to, to uh, land a, a position on the faculty at Michigan State in Animal Science. And uh, like I said, it was primarily because of those three people, and I, and I might add that uh, all three of those individuals, Dr. Hawkins, Dr. Ritchie, and Dr. Nelson, are all members, uh, inductees in the Saddle and Sirloin Club Portrait uh, Gallery. Uh, at that time, uh, Michigan State University was basically the mecca of, uh, of beef cattle. Uh, in beef cattle education and, uh, you know, of course had uh, a highly renowned purebred uh, Angus and, and Hereford herd. And um, as time went on, uh, Dr. Ritchie and I developed a, a very close relationship. And back in that period of the late 70s, uh, he was basically traveling the world. Uh, because his advice and counsel was so highly sought uh, to judge shows in many foreign countries and virtually probably every state in the union, uh, and to also give uh, you know educational presentations. Uh, the thing that I oftentimes uh, think that people don't realize is Dr. Ritchie who was, uh, did his undergrad at Iowa State University, a native of, of Northwest Iowa, actually did his uh, PhD. His doctoral thesis was in swine nutrition. And uh, when he finished, Dr. Nelson really needed someone in the beef area. And so uh, Harlan switched from, from hogs uh, to cattle and basically self-taught himself uh, about uh, the beef cattle industry. Uh, he was one of the key people in the movement uh, starting in the, in the early 60s 
of changing the uh, composition of the beef cattle population in Michigan and throughout the world uh, from very, very small framed, early maturing, excessively fat cattle to later maturing, leaner cattle. Uh, he spent uh, a significant amount of time in Western Europe uh, really researching uh, those breeds that are now very commonplace uh, in in the United States, such as uh, Semitols. The Charlais had been previously introduced, uh, but uh, but then there was an influx of those as well in um, the uh, in the early to mid mid 60s. So we've done a lot of history on my podcast over the last year, and. Uh... Like we've talked about the the change from short little dumpy cattle in the 50s and 60s to some of those more you go back and you look at some of these pictures on the internet of that 80s cattle where they got really tall and really no bellied or whatever you want to call it. I'm just trying to put it in layman's yep. terms. Yeah. Uh, so you're saying Dr. Ritchie was instrumental in bringing those key influence cattle uh, across the pond. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, along, awesome. along with various other breeds. And, um, so go ahead. Continue yeah, on. He, go ahead. Yeah, actually, one of his uh, most famous trips was in 1971, um, and uh, Mr. Jerry Helgren, uh, who was uh, the manager of Picket Fence Angus, um, spent several weeks in, in Europe. Um, you know, studying Semitols, Mainon Jews, Limousines, uh, and spent quite a bit of time with Kianina. Uh, the Kianina breed was the one that really intrigued Dr. Ritchie probably the most. And um, then we, you know, we kind of move ahead to the early 70s, and Harlan just simply felt the need to buy a farm and have some cattle. And uh, that's kind of, you know, Kianinas were one of the very first breeds uh, that he had on this farm. And um, so it was, uh, it was really interesting times. And, and then, um, you know, he also spent a great deal of time throughout the United States searching out cattle that were a bit later maturing, uh, larger framed and uh, would not deposit fat as, as, as rapidly. Now, with that said, Matt, um, I think we all know that the race for frame uh, got out of hand. And, um, you know, people thought if, 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 if big is, is good, bigger is better. And uh, so it was, it was kind of one of those situations that, uh, where it, it, it just went a little bit too far. Cool. Yep. Go ahead uh, with the rest of your story. You're doing awesome. Sorry for interrupting. <clears throat> no, no, not a problem. Well, anyway, then, you know, we, uh, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the relationship that I had with Harlan and, and as esteemed as what he was, um, he was as down-to-earth and very people-oriented. Um, he had the great ability 
to listen uh, to people probably more than talking self. But um, anyway, we move we move ahead to the late seventies, and um, you know, as I said, Harlan was traveling the world, and he kind of needed uh, you know someone to help take care of the cow herd here, and and I was looking for an escape from the office. And uh, we started in a partnership. Uh, I originally had uh, a handful of Simmental cows, and, and he had the, the Caninas. Um, and we just kind of threw them all together and, and, and went from there. Um, we showed quite a bit, uh, particularly starting in the late 70s and uh, until our, our daughter uh, kind of kind of aged out of the junior ranks uh, in the in the mid mid uh, you know about 2005 2006. So um, I always said it was probably one of the most enjoyable things for me is to be able to sit on a bale of hay uh, or straw in the barn on a Sunday afternoon and and Harlan and I would just sit there and talk. Um, he was a like I said, a very, very dear friend of mine. Yeah. You betcha. So could you just talk a little bit about your time at the University of Michigan State? And uh, I guess one thing that I've heard this week, just yesterday as I started doing a little bit of research on you and Dr. Ritchie, is uh, in the 90s and during you guys' run at Michigan State, and I'm not trying to offend anyone when I say this, but I think it's a true statement, Michigan State was kind of the mecca of the of the student-based uh, talent. Like uh, many, many successful people uh, attended the University of Michigan State, uh, Mark Hogue. Um, I mean, there's just a laundry list of people, and that's where all the kids wanted to go. It was a cool school kind of like Oklahoma State has become yep. to this day. Uh, it's, the cool that all the, it's the school that all the kids want to go to. So uh, I was told, and this is a quote from another person, that uh, Michigan State maybe has made some, some errors in the way that they've uh, managed their ag program, and, and now it's not quite as much of the cool school to go to. Now, I don't need you to comment on that, but uh, could you just, uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the things y'all did back in the day and how you got it to be the cool school. Well, like I said, it, it was it was people that that made it the cool school. <clears throat> I mean, we we have a list uh, compiled of uh, undergraduate students, of graduate students that went on to other universities, uh, people that have been extremely successful in not only the beef cattle industry, but in the ag agriculture industry that attended Michigan State. And the, um, the attraction was, was the people. And in that period in the 80s and 90s and, and 2000s, there was, there was so much ha happening at the beef unit and the swine unit and the sheep unit, um, you know, from a purebred livestock standpoint. And I, <clears throat> I, I also have to be careful what I say to, to be <laughs> politically correct, but there's been a massive shift 
away from that practical uh, production information and education, uh, not only at that institution, but uh, at several institutions around, around the country. Uh, re research drives universities nowadays, and grants drive universities. Uh, but you talk about the people and, you know, people that went on to be managers and owners of very successful livestock enterprises that came through that place. Um, it's difficult to say now um, that, you know, that they're training, let's say, managers or herdsmen for livestock enterprises. It's just been a complete shift um, in not only the department, but also the university itself. Uh, kind of what many of us feel are a step away from the land grant, you know, mission of institutions such as that. I I I, I hope some of the administrators uh, at Michigan State aren't aren't listening, but maybe maybe they should be listening. Yeah. I was told the uh, the purebred operation there, uh, at one point Brett Barber ran it, uh, was highly successful and instrumental. And, uh, yeah, it's like like I said, it uh, seems like maybe Blackhawk East might be the cool junior junior college university right now in Oklahoma State is where all the kids want to go. Yeah. And, uh, once you get that wave of energy that uh, everybody kind of wants to go there, it's going to build on itself. And, uh, yeah, it would be it'd be. A, something for the administration to at least think about in terms of yeah. trying to reinvigorate the, the purebred operation or the, or the grants, as you say, to uh, get that energy where everybody wants to come to MSU because it is an amazing, amazing community and uh, a great place to, to uh, learn. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, I have a lot of friends that went there as well. Rachel Williams, who's yes. Rachel Petraer, uh Brian right. Raheli, Brandon Hill, Nick Berry, um, just a lot of Highly skilled people, Cody Stanky. I mean, there's I, I could you'd probably know the list better than me, but I do think it was a trendy place in the '90s and the 2000s, and yeah. you and Dr. Ritchie were instrumental. I guess uh, one of the I've seen two pictures on the internet yesterday as I was researching you just a little bit. Uh, Dr. Ritchie judged, I believe it was the 1999 Kansas City American Royal won a gray steer from uh, Nolan Bluesner won, uh, and then in 1986. I believe it was the American the Key Association Open Show in Tulsa, I believe. Uh, you were standing there. You looked like a very handsome young man in 1987. I'm sure you still look beautiful today. But uh, could you just talk about the key influence as a whole uh, as Dr. Ritchie brought those uh, cattle in? Um, you know, those key shootouts or those key jackpots were highly competitive. It said there was a $10,000 jackpot on the Internet that I read. And, yep. uh yeah. Just one. Could you talk about um, your judging career, Dr. Ritchie's judging career, and then some some more about the key influence and in, in all that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, in, in there again, it, it was uh, – I've had the opportunity to judge uh, cattle shows in, um, I guess, 34 states now and uh, in Canada. And to to a large extent, a lot of that was based on recommendations from from Dr. Ritchie. Um, I you know I had the fortune 
different on different occasions to judge shows with him, like on a panel of three or on a head judge, associate judge, and he he was incredible in his ability to observe and pick up little things. Um, uh, yeah, I mean it was it was some really great times. Uh, you know, I think he judged probably every major major steer show in the country, as well as uh, breeding cattle from numerous breeds, and uh, and I've had that same fortune. You know, judged Kansas City steers twice. Uh, you know, I've judged judged Denver, Fort Worth, uh, Louisville. Um, it, it was um, very, very humbling uh, to be in those situations. Matt, you mentioned someone else, uh, you know, that I wanted to throw in. Um, I, I've had the fortune of be, just by luck of being around some great people. And uh, I actually was born and raised in the county where Blackhawk East is. And uh, Dan Hope was actually our county County 4-H or County Livestock Agent, and he was the one that first inspired me to participate in livestock judging contests. And um, you know, that's another individual that actually I'm on a, on a committee right now that we're uh, uh, trying to put together the credentials uh, for uh, Mr. Hogue uh, to be inducted into the Saddle and Sirloin Portrait Gallery. Uh, so anyway, I, I kind of digress there, but I, I wanted to point out that relationship uh, that I've had the fortune of, of having as well. Uh, going back a little bit, you know, to the key influence in the show ring, um, I think as, as you go through history and even in, in modern, modern history, um, many of the, you know, a, a great majority of these really successful cattle uh, have a certain amount. Uh, might not be very very much, but as people have oftentimes said, you don't need a ne necessarily a whole lot of chianina in in a beast uh, to make them a good one. And um, you know, like I said, I think you go through the pit pictures of shows and and study cattle at current shows, uh, particularly in the in the steer shows, you're going to find a little shot of chianina in them. Uh, just an incredible breed of cattle when they're when they're used correctly. Yeah, you talk about blending of the breeds. Um, if you want rib, we go with a little throwing some Angus. If you want an exotic front end, if you want to keep that style and length front end in them, you're going to have to inject just a little bit of key in there because that's one of the breeds that's known. Uh, one of the things the breed is known for in terms of just the elevation and and uh, coolness of front end in their head, neck, and yeah. shoulders for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, so we've covered a lot of ground here. Um, I mean, uh, just to complete, Doctor, you know, we haven't really even touched the surface on all the accomplishments that he's had. But <clears throat> to bring the audience to date, like um, Mr. or Doctor Ritchie um, passed away six or seven years ago. Yeah. Um, 2015. Yeah. Are you? Uh, are you? What's the age difference between you and Doctor Ritchie? Uh, about 15 years. About 15 years. So, yeah. at what approximate date did he retire from the university, and um, do you still help MSU or just bring the audience to date? 
Well, um, because of because of a variety of transitions at the institution, um, my position as the livestock youth um, extension person was eliminated. And uh, in 2012, I took the retirement after 34 years at Michigan State. Uh, Dr. Ritchie, if I remember correctly, uh, retired in about 2005. Uh, but he never really retired because he, he continued to write uh, articles and educational pieces uh, you know, for the, for the industry. But anyway, um, in 2012, uh, there was, we, I was still the faculty coordinator of the Purebred Beef Barn. Cody Sankey was the manager. And um, we were given the directive uh, that the uh, Purebred Beef Herd at Michigan State University needed to go down to about 50 cows. And um, you really can't do much with 25 Herefords and 25 Angus. So between Cody and I, we kind of made the decision that the best thing uh, was to disperse one or the other herds. And uh, we, we felt that the Herefords at that point in time uh, had the most genetic value uh, because of several recent successes, and uh, there maybe wasn't a lot of interest on the part of the existing faculty um, to stay in the Hereford business, so we dispersed those in early October of 2012, and um, effectively that was uh, my last day at Michigan State, and uh, Cody's position as manager had also been eliminated and uh, combined, and it was um, it was a very very sad day, very sad day. You bet. I think uh, I don't know the uh, politics of the deal in terms of who gets to pull the purse strings, but uh, yeah. I mean, that, that would lend itself hand-in-hand hand on why maybe Michigan State isn't quite as trendy as it used to be. And uh, that's my opinion. It doesn't have to be yours. But uh, anyways, I uh, do appreciate you joining me today. Uh, would there be anything else that you'd like to cover before we finish up here? Oh, I think I think we've rattled on long enough, long enough here, Matt. I, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, it, it, the, the one thing I'd, I'd maybe close with, to me, it's amazing how quickly people are forgotten. Uh, a few years back, I, uh, Mr. Hogue at Blackhawk uh, would invite me periodically to, uh, you know, just give a couple of presentations to his classes. And, and um, the last time I did it, I, I uh, was prompted by Dan Hogue uh, to talk about Harlan Ritchie. And... Uh, it was amazing that there were no students in the audience that raised their hand when I when I said, "Do you recognize the name?" And I find that to be very uh, saddening because of the impact that that man had on the beef cattle.
doesn't take long for people to forget. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you uh, educating the audience uh, as well as myself and look forward to seeing you here at the Michigan Beef Expo this weekend, and uh, we'll catch up a little bit more then, okay? Sounds good. Thanks again, Matt.